Good morning. Uh, scripture reading today is from Exodus 28 through 11 and Mark 2:27. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, <clears throat> you shall not work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Uh, Mark 2:27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Good morning. Good morning, folks on Zoom. I can't see you very well because of these sunglasses, but I see a bunch of squares. So it's good to have you out. Beautiful day. Um, I, I want to say just a couple things uh, announcement-wise. Next week, uh, Matt is going <coughs> to be over here physically. Matt Harbour, and he's going to be preaching. So you don't want to miss that. Matt always does a great job, and I'm really looking forward to it. I just want to make sure that you um, made a point of coming to hear him preach. Um, the only other thing is I'm going to be talking today about... Um, Kind of the third of three lessons on work and worship coming at it from a different angle today we'll be talking about sabbath as those two passages that don just read indicate but if you haven't heard lesson one and two this is a kind of mini series where uh it's all interdependent and if you just took one of the lessons not that you would and ran with that um you might not have the balance that the bible actually gives us on some of these things so i've tried to um you know, sort of state that each week. Um, sometimes if you over-disclaim and over-caveat and over-balance, you lose the thrust of the point you're trying to make. So that's always a, a, a balancing act for a, a speaker, a minister. But I just wanted you to know that these are all up on, you know, podcasts. If they're not there right now, they will be shortly. And you can go back and, and uh, listen to uh, Work and Worship number one, Work and Worship number two. <clears throat> um, and this is really the third lesson in that. So, as I've said, we've been talking about worship and our work, which, you know, you would think if we're focusing on the theme of worshiping God and we don't have any kind of answer for what our work is, and work is eating up the, you know, the lion's share of our time. Most of our waking hours are spent in work. That would be a really weird thing to say that Jesus is everything to us except for the largest chunk of our lives, time-wise, effort-wise, worry-wise, focus-wise, right? So work has to be included in this concept of worship. And basically what we've noted the last couple of weeks is that work, spiritually speaking, can be both holy and hazardous. It has the potential in this fallen world to be a sacred act where we're giving God the glory as we work. We were designed for work, and yet it also can become an idol that would replace him. So it can be holy or hazardous. Now today we turn our attention to the biblical concept of Sabbath. Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This is in the Ten Commandments. Sort of, you know, gisty uh, chunk of the law that represented God's ethics that grow out of the character of Yahweh. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. I am the God who saves, as we sang a minute ago. And here's how I want you to respond to my gracious saving act. It's with these kinds of ethical um, rules, uh, you know, laws to live by. 
So this is keeping the Sabbath holy. Now, Sabbath, the word Sabbath, is a word which just means ceasing, ending, stopping, to put an end to something. It comes from a verb which means to cease or to desist. And in the context of the Ten Commandments and ancient Judaism, it's, of course, speaking of an of, of a ending to work, ceasing work. And it referred to setting aside every seventh day as the day when work would stop, right? It was called a blessed day in Exodus 20, verse 11. It was called a holy day in that same verse. And thirdly, it was a day associated with rest. This is all from Exodus 20, verse 11. Blessed, holy, and a day of rest. Now, our lesson today is not going to be about the Sabbath in the sense that ancient Jews were to observe it, right? We're not going to be as literal. Uh, we're not talking about the narrower application of, of the Ten Commandments, uh, Sabbath law, but the broader um, theological principle behind Sabbath, the broader concept that underlay the idea of rest, of Sabbath, the idea that you could do the radical act of stopping working. Imagine that. <laughs> even for a moment. I mean, work is almost a god in America, right? There's a lot of articles now on how people will say, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, like it's a burden, but really it's kind of badge of honor because um, it makes people feel important. And we live in a culture, we have an ethos that worships movement. Burden of proof's on you in America if you're going to do something like Ecclesiastes talks about. You worked your day, you, now you're just going to sit there and enjoy it. Like, you're going to be called lazy or a thousand other negative um, adjectives in our culture because we have this thing called the Puritan work ethic, which, like a lot of human cultural constructs, is part Bible, part idolatry. Um, so this idea that you could rest and that could be holy is a kind of radical concept, probably for anybody who's ever lived. It, it might have been tough even for ancient Jews. But our concept is not the literal seventh-day thing. That's not what we're going to be focusing on today. After, after all, Christians, you know, we don't observe the Sabbath in, in the same day-specific sense. We're not taking the seventh day aside. Uh, I'm, I'm sure some of y'all did some work yesterday on a, on a Saturday. And there's a sense in which, for Christians, there is a deeper, more substantive expression or manifestation of Sabbath that is fulfilled in Christ. Colossians 2, Paul says this, let therefore no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Don't let anybody judge you about that, Christian. He says this, these, all those kinds of things, are a, a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So we live in the wake of the cross. We live as followers of Jesus and so a lot of things change. So I don't want you to get too far off in the weeds of kind of the literal particulars. Don't be too wooden in your thinking about this. We're, talking, we're going to soar today with what was the, the principle theologically behind this idea of Sabbath. I believe that continues to have huge application or should in the lives of God's people. There was a classic book in 1951 called Sabbath by the Jewish scholar Abraham Joshua Heschel. Maybe you've heard of him. He's been quoted here a few times before. But he says this in his little book in, on Sabbath. He says, Sabbath is not a date, ultimately, but an atmosphere. It's not finally, ultimately, 
you know, when you get to the bottom of it all, about a day. You know, about, oh, we got to do this because of the day. It's about an, an ambience. It's a thought. It's an idea. It's, a, it's an atmosphere. And he says this, in the same way that people build cathedrals to demarcate holy space, Sabbath is a kind of cathedral, or as he puts it, a palace in time. It's a demarcation of holy time in the same way that a cathedral or a palace, you know, delimits, right? Puts boundaries around, this is special place here. This is special geography. Well, Sabbath is special time, holy time. And this time is made holy by what the Bible calls rest. We're going to talk a lot about rest in the rest of this sermon, no pun intended. Now, we might engage in such spiritually focused rest at any time and in numerous ways. But our question for this morning is this. How is such Sabbath rest important to our worship of God? How is Sabbath rest, in the broader sense, important for our worship of God? Well, first of all, Sabbath rest refocuses our trust on God. It refocuses, reorients, corrects maybe a misplaced trust. On the seventh day, after all, the Jews were to stop working. Exodus 29 and 10 says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. A ceasing, remember, a, a desisting from work. On it you shall not do any work. Anybody in your household. All right? And so to comply with that, the Jews, this meant that they would have to trust that provision for their, their fields and their flocks and their families would go on without them, right? It's a little bit of a leap of faith. There's stuff to do tomorrow. God's got it. You, you cease, you desist. This day is holy. And so they've got to trust that the God who ordained the Sabbath would provide for them through the Sabbath. The world would keep turning if they took a day of rest. Of course, like work, rest can also be holy and hazardous. Any good thing can be abused. And so we need to be careful with this idea. You know, in the same way that somebody can say, well, kind of use the need to work, to be responsible, as a kind of carte blanche, get out of jail free card. You can do that with rest too. And I think there's a trend sometimes that way lately because it's, we're trying to react to an overreaction about work and we go, well, you know, this is about rest. That doesn't give you just carte blanche to sort of become self-indulgent any more than saying, I have to work, gives you carte blanche to become self-indulgent. So they both have a built-in potential for holiness and hazard, right? Every, every created thing does because they're not the creator. They could become an idolatrous expression of self-will, of narcissism. Um, so we got to be careful with that. That said, and I'm going to say one more thing about that by way of disclaiming. <laughs> um, God is the one who created work, right? It was in his original design for humans. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Proverbs and the New Testament warn us against indolence and laziness. All right? So we'll get that out there. Rest is never supposed to be just a euphemism for those kinds of sins. Got 79 pages going everywhere up here. I need octopus arms. Um... On the other hand, 
Work was never supposed to replace God as the source of our trust. Let me quote um, Abraham Heschel again from the little book Sabbath. He says this, He who wants to enter the holiness of the day of, of Sabbath must first lay down the profanity of clattering commerce, of being yoked to toil. He must go away from the screech of dissonant days, from the nervousness and fury of acquisitiveness, more, more, more. And the betrayal, I love this phrase, the betrayal in embezzling his own life. <laughs> he must say farewell to manual work and learn to understand that the world has already been created and will survive without the help of man. Even when the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years, relying on the miraculous provision of manna, you'll remember this, God forbade them from gathering more than needed than for that day alone. They had to trust that he would provide for the following day. They couldn't hoard it. And on Friday, if you recall, he instructed them to gather enough for two days so as to meet their needs for Sabbath. The rest of Sabbath was a time for them to focus on God, their dependence upon God, and his abundant provision. It's very interesting to me that both Sabbath and God are called holy. The term holy is used to describe both God and Sabbath. It's the Hebrew word kodash. I might be mispronouncing that. Matt can correct me next week. Kodash, kodash, not sure exactly. But that's the Hebrew word for holy. It's all over the Old Testament, of course. And as Abraham Heschel observes, few words capture the mystery and majesty of God more than holy. Remember Leviticus 19? You, Israel, shall be holy, for I, Yahweh, the Lord, am holy. I mean, that's one of the key, most key words to describe the attributes of God, is he is holy. But do you know what the first thing in all the Bible that is referred to as holy is? It isn't a thing at all, actually. It's a snippet of time called the Sabbath. Very first thing in the Bible called holy. Genesis 2, at the conclusion of the creation count, the creation week, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we read this. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This suggests that the purpose of not working on this holy day was to focus on their holy God. They're both holy. But how many of us are adept at stopping work? How many of us struggle with the very kinds of trust issues that come with taking a break from our blur of activity? Jeff Van Duzer, the little book, Why Business Matters to God, says this, with the confluence of, see if this resonates with your experience, with the confluence of global competition and enhanced technology, work in our culture is increasingly a 24-7 phenomenon. We are wired and connected. We are always on. Right? I, I emailed you an hour ago, you know, some of my students. I emailed you an hour, yeah, an hour ago. Right, good point. It's been 60 minutes. Chill. You know? There are a few other things going on. You ever have that experience? You're just never off? We are working longer hours, Van Duzer continues, at a faster pace. Since the end of World War II, the average American has added almost an additional month of work to his or her year. Wow. 
Technology like email, smartphones, et cetera, blurs the line between work and home. These things insist on greater attention to work and faster response times in our work. This was never, he says, God's intention. We didn't get that from God or the Bible. We made up that. Even if we baptize it in America and, and, and respect it and revere it and elevate the people who do it, even in churches, we may make those people elders. We're not getting that ethos from the Bible. The Sabbath rhythms were built into the fabric of creation, yet very, very few lives today can accommodate even one day in seven dedicated to rest, reflection, and worship. Close quote. Secondly, Sabbath rest, it not only refocuses our trust on God, it allows us to rejoice in the goodness of God's creation. I want you to notice that Van Duzer says in that quote, quote, Sabbath rhythms were built into the fabric of creation. He is spot on about that. Exodus 20 and 11 says this, For in six days God made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is about creation. Whatever else the Sabbath system of six days of work, one day of rest is about, the Bible most explicitly connects it to creation. And it's incorrect. Let me suggest this. It's mistaken to think of the Sabbath merely in the negative. What it didn't allow, namely work. Remember when Jesus' critics in Mark 2 were saying, you shouldn't, your disciples shouldn't be eating the, the grain of, of you know, the wheat as they're walking through the, the fields. That's violating the Sabbath. And this is one of the passages Don read a minute ago. Jesus responds by saying, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You've been too narrow, too woodenly literal. You've limited the, the, the meaning of the thing to some just disembodied, context-free rule. Legalists typically do that. The point, the Sabbath was good for us. It wasn't just a capricious God going, let me give him another thing to mess up at. It was good for us. It was made for man. And so the answer in part, if we're just going to say, well, you know, don't just focus on the negative what Sabbath didn't allow. You know, work wasn't what it, work was what it wasn't for. So what was, what was the Sabbath for? And I think the answer in part is to celebrate the glories of God's creation. There is a, a <clears throat> Russian Orthodox scholar named Alexander Shmeman, who wrote a book called For the Life of the World. And there's a section in there where he talks about Sabbath. And here's what he says about it. He notes that connection. Sabbath is the participation by man in, uh, the participation by man in and the affirmation of the goodness of God's creation. He quotes from the tail end of Genesis 1. God saw that it was good and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made, close quote. And then he says, based on that, the seventh day is thus the joyful acceptance of the world created by God as good. The rest prescribed on that day is the active participation in the, quote, Sabbath delight, in the sacredness and fullness of divine peace as the fruit of all work and the crowning of all time. You'll notice in that quote he says that 
when people observe Sabbath, observe Sabbath, what they're doing is participating in Sabbath delight. He didn't just make that up. That's a quote from Isaiah 58, 13, where the Lord says to Israel, to Judah, the Sabbath, you've kind of botched it, but it's supposed to be a delight. It's not a burden. You're supposed to delight in it, not just see it as a duty. God didn't just stop working on the seventh day. The text tells us in Genesis 2, 3 that he blessed that day. It is a blessed day. Like blessed are the poor in spirit. Blissful. It creates bl uh, uh, blessing or bliss. And actually, even the word rest, if we focus on that word, means more than just non-activity biblically. It carries a positive connotation. It means tranquility, stillness, peace, harmony. One uh, lexicographer said, the good life. It's a lot like shalom. So in Psalm 23, 2, when we read, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The word still there is the word from the same word as rest. It doesn't just mean motion stops. It's this whole collage of ideas that are talking about human thriving, tranquility, stillness of soul, harmony, goodness. That's what the rest that we engage in in Sabbath is all about. Heschel says to observe Sabbath does not mean merely to obey the strictness of a divine command. To observe is to celebrate the creation of the world. So let me just say this in terms of practical application. It's exceedingly biblical. Quintessentially biblical. To take a break from the rat race. To celebrate God's creation. How might you do that? Well, and, and get, get a bunch of people together and enjoy a, a festive meal with the bounty of God's harvest, especially this time of year. Do you know God takes joy in that? He wants to see his children doing that. Or maybe exercise talents that God gave you, that he endowed in you when he created you. That makes the creator happy. I think we forget that sometimes. I, I, one of my favorite movies is Chariots of Fire, and there's a, it's based on a true story of the Scottish Olympian track star, Eric Little. And when he's trying to decide whether to be a missionary to China, he's Presbyterian. This is like, you know, 19, I don't remember which one, 12 or 16 or something like that. Um, or to just keep running. One of the things he says to his sister as he's working these ideas out, what he should do is he says, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I didn't, he says it differently than that. He sounds like an actual Scot. But think about that. God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Sabbath allows us to slow down and enjoy, like creatures of God, the rest of the creation in which we're embedded. There's nothing wrong with that. There's all kinds of things right with that. Thirdly, not only does Sabbath rest refocus our trust on God and allow us to rest in the goodness of his creation, but Sabbath rest reminds us of where we're all headed as God's people. Sabbath rest anticipates eternal rest, the rest we will have in the arms of Jesus. Our Lord, after all, as Mark 2.27 puts it, is Lord of the Sabbath. Your Lord is that same Lord, the Lord of the Sabbath. 
Remember that? You shouldn't be having them eat those grain heads as you walk on the Sabbath through the wheat fields. Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, for the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. As Lord of the Sabbath, and as, as Revelation puts it, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end of everything. Jesus has written history's script. In other words, setting aside time for some Sabbath rest, whenever you do it, however you do it, should recenter us in our defining narrative, our story. A narrative that stretches from creation to new creation. You're in that flow. You're in that story as a believer. Remember that already in the creation account, Sabbath is presented as creation's climax. The end of all creation, not just the means to something else. This is Genesis 2, 2 and 3. I'm just reading the text. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done in creation, right? So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Exodus in the Ten Commandments says, that's what I'm doing with this Sabbath law. Sabbath was kind of the point of the creation. It's the culminating day, the rest of the seventh day that God enjoys is, is the end of creation. And I think sometimes people think of Sabbath as a means to another end. Again, Heschel says this, to the biblical mind, Sabbath is not for the purpose of recovering one's lost strength so he can become fit for forthcoming labor again. The Sabbath is a day for the sake of life. Man is not a beast of burden. And the Sabbath is not for the purpose of enhancing the efficiency of more work. The Sabbath is not, and he's talking about the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. The Sabbath's not presented as an interlude, but as the climax of living. In Hebrews 4, we are told that in eternity, quote, verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Sabbath is still coming in the new creation. So not only did creation commence with Sabbath, it will also culminate in Sabbath. And the next verse says, Hebrews 4, 10, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people, a people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. That raises an interesting kind of semi-sidebar question. Does that mean all work will be over? Does that go against what I was teaching two weeks ago? I don't think so. There's a sense in which work ceases, but God rested from his creative works on the seventh day. He continues to rest, right? It's all complete. Does the Bible teach us elsewhere that God is doing nothing right now? No. Among 49 other things, he's feeding the young lions. He is making the water cycle happen. Remember all the stuff at the end of the book of Job? You think you want to address me, Job? Let me show you some things you don't understand. It's basically a tour of the cosmos right? God's doing all those things all the time. All those organisms we discover every year, you know, at the bottom of some thermal vent, God's been handling their needs all through time, <laughs> whether we know they exist. He's doing stuff all the time. He's very busy. So God's rest doesn't mean inactivity, doing nothing. Moreover, Revelation 22.5, as we've already noticed, the last thing said about human, human beings is that in the new creation, we will be reigning. That's an activity with Christ. 
And Isaiah and Micah both say that in eternity, everyone will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Why not just say they will lay down their swords and lay down their spears? What's a plowshare for? What's a pruning hook for? You see what I'm saying? It all indicates there's going to be things going on. If there's no work of any kind, then what's that, what's that mean? So the more likely takeaway is that there will be work. There will be activity, but it won't feel like work. At least not what we know of work. Because Revelation says that the curse will be no longer. Work will be free from the sweat of the brow from the thorns and the thistles that we talked about last week. So let me wrap this up. Everyone we know, all of us and everybody we've ever met and will meet, I think, whether they know it or not even, is really on a quest for rest, for peace, for serenity, for stillness of soul, for meaning and harmony and human thriving vis-a-vis his or her environment. That's what everybody's looking for. But on this side of eternity, on this side of eternity, we will not ultimately find this rest. We won't find it in our work, for our hobbies, for our diversions, or even our relationships with the best people we know. For whatever we accomplish, whatever we achieve, most of us will struggle with restlessness of heart. Aren't we all restless on some level? True rest can only come from Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And what I'm suggesting today is that if we have the faith to practice the principle of Sabbath, it can recenter us on the hope of eternal Sabbath rest with our Lord. Thank you.